Let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 3. One of the many benefits of the many, many, many benefits of our partnership in the Emmanuel Network is the annual summit in Louisville that happens every February. And it's a long weekend of encouragement and exhortation and training and prayer and updates and preaching. It probably doesn't sound that fun to you, but uh, I don't get to listen to sermons very often. I'm usually the one preaching them. So it's actually quite uh, fun and, and a relief to be able to sit there and listen to someone else preaching for a change. Well, this February, the Emmanuel Network hosted Dr. Tom Schreiner, who is an expert on interpreting warning passages like the one that lies before us this morning. In fact, uh, this one in Hebrews chapter 3 is the first of several warnings that we're going to encounter as we make our way through the book. And the question will naturally arise from these warnings, and it's this. Is this passage saying that I can lose my salvation? Can a true believer actually fall away? Because it seems from this passage and from these warnings that that's exactly what the author is warning against. Dr. Schreiner was very helpful to lay out five ways that Christians have traditionally interpreted these passages. And if you'd like to hear all five of those perspectives, I'd be glad to sit down and talk you through them uh, after the service. We're not going to do that this morning. The fifth one is the one where we're going to land today. And here it is. Today's warning passage is an address to all of us, but God will make sure that every true believer heeds the warning. So if you're here this morning, this word is for you. But we can be confident that every true believer will heed this warning. And if you're walking away or, or temptation is looming or the deceitfulness of sin has begun to take a grasp of your heart, you will turn away from that and back to God. Warnings are one of the means by which God preserves us. There are many reasons why you and I continue to persevere and to live, but one of them is that the bleach bottle in your laundry closet has a warning label that says, harmful if swallowed. That warning is preserving your life, namely by telling you the ill effects that will befall you if you choose to drink what's inside that container. Or maybe you've been driving in the mountains and you've seen a yellow sign I can't recall exactly what it looks like, but it's like a slope and there's little crumblies falling down and it says, warning, falling rocks. That's not a rebuke. You haven't done anything wrong. It's warning you, though, of danger that may lie ahead. And to not heed that warning is to put your life at peril. So, we need to see that warnings, too, can act as God's preserving grace in our lives. Whether you're a believer 
this morning or not, my prayer is that you will heed the warning of what the Holy Spirit has to say to us today. And so let's stand on that note as we hear from Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to, fit, to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. You may be seated. <laughs> Some sermon outlines take a little work. This one took no work at all. There are three warnings in this section of scriptures and there are three main points. Three commands. Verse 8, we hear the first warning there, do not harden your hearts. That will be our first point, do not harden your hearts. The second warning comes in verse, 11, or verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in, in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. This is our second warning, take care of your hearts. And the final warning is in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. It's our third and final warning. Let us fear. Hopefully you recognized that uh, we have already read this passage this morning. We read it as part of the call to worship. It's a block quote from Psalm 95. Verses 7 through 10 are verbatim from the Old Testament. What's unique is the tag that the author of Hebrews puts on the front end of the quote. When we think of the Psalms, 
Typically, we think of the author as being David, right? David didn't write all the Psalms, but usually we associate the Psalms with King David. But look at what the author of Hebrews says in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As I'm reading the scriptures aloud, whose voice are we hearing? As I read the words, do not harden your hearts, who is speaking to us? Whose voice are you and I hearing in these very words in this very moment? Verse 7 again, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, the Spirit is speaking to us today as we hear these words. And he's saying to us, do not harden your hearts. There is no if. You and I are hearing the voice of the Spirit as we read this passage aloud. You are hearing his voice. These are the words of God, the Spirit, we are hearing today. What we realize is that when we are hardening our hearts, that takes place in response to the hearing of the voice of God. There's also an immediacy to this warning. It says, today, now, in this moment, as we are together, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Perhaps some of you out there are a little uh, crafty. I've been known to wield a glue gun in my day. That's the only gun that I own. It wouldn't probably be very helpful if we had an intruder. Although that glue is really hot and sticky. So, you know, I, I don't know. You sneak up behind him maybe with it. But uh, maybe you've used a glue gun before. The thing is about a glue gun is that you have to be ready to attach whatever you're attaching. You got to have it poised and ready because when that glue comes dripping out hot, you have like two seconds to adhere whatever needs to be pressed together or else it just turns into a hardened, sticky, stringy glob of, of worthlessness. It's not sticky anymore once it hardens. You have to act when the glue is soft. You have to act in the moment. Friends, the only thing that you have to do for your heart to grow harder today is to hear God's voice and not act. Today, when you hear his voice, just don't. Hear his voice and do nothing. Do not obey. Do not believe. When you hear the voice of God, do nothing. We have to realize, brothers and sisters, that when God speaks to us, there is no tomorrow. There is no, I'll do it later, I'll think about it some other time. If he is speaking to us today, if we hear his voice, we must act or else we will harden our hearts. And the Spirit is pleading with us, don't let that happen. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And if you won't respect the voice, then at least heed the warning. 
verse 8 and following, look at what happens to the hard-hearted. Do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. I said, they're always going astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. If you won't heed the voice, then heed the example, the warning of the wilderness generation. They hardened their hearts. They heard the voice of God time and again. And every last one of them fell dead in the wilderness. Perhaps you've read the Old Testament stories of that wilderness generation. Some were swallowed by the earth. Some were stoned. Some were killed with plagues. Others were bitten by deadly serpents. But not a single one of those hard-hearted Israelites entered into the promised land. In fact, they aroused the wrath of God so much so that he swore an oath, they will not enter my rest. Yeah, but that won't happen to me. God doesn't deal with people today the way he did back in the Old Testament. Uh, maybe you recall the story from Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, New Testament church members. They thought the same thing. Until the Lord struck them dead on the spot while attending church, while they were passing the offering plate. Why? Because Sapphira and her husband had agreed to put the Holy Spirit to the test and had hardened their hearts. Don't say God won't. That's what the wilderness generation said. God won't. God won't follow through on his threats. We're his chosen people. For goodness sake, God parted a sea to save us. He's, he's not going to put us to death for disobeying him in the wilderness. Learn the lesson. Heed the warning. Do you presume upon the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, not to further disobedience? Verse 10 says, always, they are always going astray in their heart. When will you hear? Tomorrow? The day of repentance is not tomorrow. It's today. Not yesterday. It is today. If you hear his voice speaking to you, there is only one, only one, only one right response, and it is this. Do not harden your hearts. Turn. Listen. Heed. A second warning is in verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. And it is this. Take care of your hearts. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The idea of this second warning is an idea of looking at your own heart, pondering it, keeping watch over it. Self-care has become quite the buzzword these days, and people are taking care of all different parts of themselves, taking care of their bodies, 
taking care of their mental space, taking care of their relationships, taking care of their job and their work-life balance, taking care of all kinds of things. But how many of us are regularly taking care of our hearts? I know we've all heard a tragic story to this effect. 45-year-old man living a healthy life, took care of himself, exercised regularly, ate healthy, was out for a jog, and fell dead in the street. We've all heard the story before. It wasn't his fault. It was genetic. He never knew he had a bad heart. Brothers and sisters, how much more tragic for you and I to go through the motions of the Christian life, doing your best, giving to your church, coming to church, and on the day of judgment, something is revealed that you never gave a second thought. You have a bad heart. Look at your heart. Take care of your heart. But how do I examine my heart? How do I know what's on the inside? I can't see it. Well, start asking yourself regularly these kinds of questions. What do I do when I am afraid? Where do I turn whenever I feel joy? What's the first thing that I do when I get out of bed? What's the last thing that I can't get off my mind whenever I go to sleep? Well, here's one. What am I saying? The Bible says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words will show you what kind of a heart you have. Are the words coming out of your mouth encouraging, prayerful, hopeful, determined, faithful, or are they complaints filled with fear, hateful, gossip, slanderous? Brothers and sisters, we have to take care of our hearts. What sort of entertainment are you and I feeding our hearts? The things that we passively consume and watch and enjoy are either spurring us on toward greater faith or spurring us on to fall away. What influences are you allowing in your life? What voices rattle around and move your hearts? What friends are you surrounding yourself with? What church members are you listening to? If a church member were to come to you and say something like, I think that your heart is being wooed by propaganda online. I think for your own good and for the good of your heart, you should spend less time on your phone and more time with your church. Would you say, of course you would say that because you're a CNN-loving leftist libtard, or would you say, thank you for looking after my heart? Part of seeing to your own heart is having an ear that not only hears the voice of God and heeds his warning, but hears the voice of your brothers and sisters and heeds their warning. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, brothers and sisters? They have a responsibility to take care of your heart as well as their own, to be exhorting you and your heart toward greater faith and away from the deceitfulness of sin. So when your brother or your sister comes and they're exhorting you or they're confronting you or they're warning you, assume it's because they want to help you take care of your heart. Confrontation in the church should always be about the heart, not about preferences, not about power or personalities, the heart. I'm having this conversation with you because I know the best thing for you is for your heart to love and trust in God. And I'm just not seeing that. And I care enough to say something to you about it. Let me exhort you for a minute as your brother in Christ. I know you were following the Lord yesterday, but where are you today? Where are you today? We love to look at past success. Well, I served the Lord in so many ways back then. I know I was following. I, I firmly believed in Jesus back then. But the author of Hebrews pulls the rug out from underneath us and says, I don't care about yesterday. What about today? And don't make me promises about tomorrow because you don't know if you even have a tomorrow. Do you love Jesus today? Now, in this moment, this is literally all that matters. Where is your heart now? This is the deceitfulness of sin. Sin tells you to put faith in your yesterday. Think about all the ways you served Jesus in the past. Remember when you walked the aisle? Remember all the service you did for your church in the past decades? Remember how fervently you believed on that mission trip or that camp trip you went on? It's okay to let your guard down and sin a little today. Or sin tells you to put your faith in tomorrow. Why you got to be so serious about things today? You can always follow God tomorrow. You can always choose to believe tomorrow. God will forgive you today. Hold on to that sin just for one more day, and then you can repent tomorrow. Sin is deceitful. It says, sin today. You will not surely die. But you might say, can someone really have a mighty salvation experience and then fall away? Well, you tell me. Verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So, according to the Bible, you can be a literal descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can witness the power of God and the ten plagues against the Egyptians. You can participate in the Passover, walk through the waters of the Red Sea on dry land, watch God clap Pharaoh and all of his hosts in uh, two tidal waves of wrath, hear the literal voice of God speaking from a mountain, receive the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God, and have Moses as your pastor 
and still fall away. So don't think for a moment that because you had some spiritual experience in the past and you got baptized and you've taken the Lord's Supper a thousand times and you go to church, somehow that all of that makes up for an unbelieving Verse 19, here's what's obvious to us now looking back. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That was the problem. Unbelieving hearts. 1939, a German captain by the name of Gustav Schroeder left the European coast with 937 Jewish refugees. He had secured Cuban visas for all of his passengers who were, if you know the time, 1939, they're fleeing Nazi persecution and concentration camps and death. And he treated these Jews with dignity and respect and was helping them to flee for their safety. In fact, Lothar Moulton, a boy traveling with his parents, said that many of the passengers considered the trip across the Atlantic to be a vacation cruise to freedom. What they didn't know is that just before the voyage had begun, Cuba had changed its visa policies and would no longer recognize the visas they had been issued. So they arrived at the coast and they were denied entry. The captain did his best, but to no avail. Rations grew tight. The ship they were sailing on, which was the MS St. Louis, sailed north in hopes that they might be received all along the Florida coast. Schroeder pled with President Roosevelt to have mercy and admit the refugees. At the time, the U.S. had strict immigration quotas. No visa, no entry, no exceptions. In fact, Coast Guard ships surrounded the St. Louis to make sure they didn't accidentally shipwreck along the coast so that their refugees could swim to shore in freedom. Eventually, the St. Louis was forced to turn back. Many died on the trip home. Many more died in German concentration camps. Some of us think in this life that we're on a vacation cruise to freedom. But on the day when you arrive on Jordan's stormy banks, how can you be sure that you will be able to enter the promised land? Perhaps you've heard the story of Jesus that he himself told that on that fateful day, some will hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. How can I know if I will gain entry into the presence of God on that day? Take care of your hearts today. Today. That's all you can do. Believe today. Stop clinging to the past. Start, stop making promises about the future. Where is your heart today? Do not harden your hearts. Take care of your hearts. Now, final warnings is in verse 1 of chapter 4. Let us fear. Look at verse 1 with me. 
Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Let us fear, the author of Hebrews says, let us fear of hearing without faith. This should be the most fearful state imaginable to us, that we should enter this place with the intent purpose of dozing off, of sleeping spiritually as we are hearing the voice of God. Fear of coming into this place with no intention of leaving changed. The message was no good to the Israelites of the Old Testament because every time they heard God speak, they hardened their hearts. They had no intention of living or doing otherwise. You can hear the gospel a thousand times. It will be of no benefit to you if you do not believe it. In fact, it will have a harmful effect. Hearing and not believing will harden over time. Fear of falling away this command, let us fear, it's a healthy thing. Think about it. Maybe uh, you have a fear of heights like I do. Have you ever been up in a high place and there was no guardrail? And maybe you were 10 feet away from the edge, but just knowing that there was nothing to keep you from plummeting off the precipice just made you have the heebie-jeebies. That's the way I get. Well, that's a healthy fear because it's keeping you from the danger. Or fear of traffic. Maybe you stopped or, or had a blown tire and had to get stopped on the side of the interstate and you realize, wow, these trucks and cars are going really fast. And there's a, a healthy fear of wandering into traffic or someone swerving and catching you and you know you're going to be flattened. That's a healthy fear. Fear keeps us safe. Brothers and sisters, let us fear. And let this healthy fear, fear of falling away, this should drive us back into the arms of our Savior. Listen, the fear we have is not that we're afraid of Jesus receiving us. Our fear is of falling away from him. And that fear acts like a guardrail. It keeps us from wandering into traffic or getting too close to the edge of the cliff. And the realization of how frail we are, knowing how faithless we can be, how easily our hearts can grow hard, that fear is meant to drive us back to the foot of the cross. Friends, let us fear so that we will be driven to the one who opens his arms and says, do not be afraid. We have a God whose wrath against our sin is eternal. We have a God who will not tolerate forever rebellion and disobedience. We have a God who will not allow unbelievers to enter his rest. But notice this, we have a God. And how did he become our God? We have a God who sent his son, Jesus Christ. We have a God who died for our every sin and rebellions rebellion and disobedience. We have a God who suffered his own wrath against our sin. We have a God who died with his arms outspread so that when we are afraid, we will turn and we will find him and we can repent and believe. 
We have a God who sends his very spirit to us today to say these words to us, to keep us safe. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let your fear drive you back to your Savior Jesus. Repent and believe that he has died for the forgiveness of your sins and trust that God has surrounded you with a band of brothers and sisters who will help you to take care of your hearts. Let us fear that even one of us should fall away. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you have hard words for us this morning, but I pray that inasmuch as I have accurately reflected the heart of God, you would use these words to turn us back from wherever we may be tempted to fall away. Jesus, keep us near the cross, even through passages like this. We trust your warnings, even your warnings are meant to be grace to us, to keep us on the path of righteousness. We trust in you. You have to keep us, Lord. We cannot keep ourselves. We're leaning and trusting in you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.